welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. In this episode, I speak with Amanda McKenna, who is a former co-founder and board director of two self-started digital agencies, shares how feeling like she didn't belong in entrepreneurship affected her confidence, and how women and people who don't fit the entrepreneurial stereotype experience this more acutely. In Amanda's TED Talk, she refers to the Alison Rose Review and the extraordinary statistic that there are 1.1 million missing female-founded businesses in the UK. That is £250 billion worth of value that could be added to the economy if women started and scaled businesses to the same extent as men. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining How to Start Up today. It would be wonderful if you could give a bit of a brief introduction as to who you are um, and a bit about your background. Thanks very much for having me, Juliet. So I'm Amanda McKenna. I co-founded a digital agency dedicated to working with charities in 2005. We were acquired by another digital agency about eight years later, which we grew to become the UK's largest independent digital agency working with global clients like Unilever, Adidas. And then we sold that business about three years ago to a kind of global technology giant, at which point I exited. And why did you start this company? We started the first company because we were passionate about helping charities and not-for-profit organisations raise money and recruit volunteers and campaign and provide services in a digital world. So at the time, charities were blaming poor quality marketing and communications on small budgets. But the reality was that when we looked under the bonnet, Charities were actually paying quite substantial amounts of money, but getting poor service from big agencies who were offering pro bono services because actually those pro bono budgets or those zero budgets couldn't compete with commercial brands. And so what we were finding is those charities were being looked after until there was a crisis with a big client and then all of the resource would be pulled onto that big client and the charities were left feeling unable to stamp their feet because it was all pro bono at the time. So we wanted to create an agency that worked only with charities and not-for-profit organisations so that our clients would always be treated like the A-list and not feel that they were second rate compared to those big brands. What was it you did first when you were starting the business? Well, we had a foundation client, which meant that we could at least get going in terms of delivering work with a small team. But, you know, we had no plan for expanding beyond that first client. So the first thing that I did was write that plan. And it was just a massive learning curve for me because I knew nothing about writing a business plan. I'd never written one. And I knew nothing about the digital industry. I mean, can't tell you how many sleepless nights it was agony, but of course it was actually the right thing to do is it helped me get my head around the industry and the opportunity. And what was the best piece of advice that you were given when you started? I was definitely at a career crossroads before I decided to sort of join my business partner and and start the agency. So I'd been offered a cracking job opportunity in the UK with a company that I knew really well. And I'd also been invited to return to Australia and collaborate with a bunch of amazing people out there who I hugely respected. And then there was this opportunity to start and grow 
a business in the UK too. And to be honest, I was leaning towards one of the other two kind of safer options because they just felt cosier. But I was, yeah, but I was advised by a family friend to do the thing that most scared me. I mean, I really felt like I was stepping off the precipice when I was when I did it. But of course, I haven't regretted it for a moment. And I've grown so much kind of personally and professionally as a result. So I'd say it's become a bit of a mantra really for me. Is it because ultimately, you know, you can do it and you just need that bit of a push? I think so. For me personally, it is about growth and challenge. And nobody really knows how much they can achieve and what they're capable of until they sort of throw themselves in at the deep end. And I'm just a really big believer in it. I mean, even when you do something terrifying, the feeling of relief afterwards and that sense of achievement is very important in terms of building your ongoing resilience and confidence. And exactly that. When you're starting a company, so many people have said, if you told me everything at the beginning that I was going to have to be challenged by, they might not have done it, but it's doable. Our economy is based on entrepreneurs and self-employed people. So it's worth exploring. Who do you listen to for advice now? I actually listen to my husband because he is just a completely different beast to me. So he's actually also an entrepreneur and involved in a startup at the moment. So he's on a crazy roller coaster journey. He's extremely rational. So he loves a good spreadsheet. Whereas I'm just much more emotional, sort of intuitive in terms of my decision making. So actually, even though sometimes when we try to approach things together, our perspectives are so different, it can sometimes cause friction while we try to sort it all out. You know, actually, what we find is that when we do come together, we just make much better decisions. So I definitely get a lot of advice from him. But I'm actually at a really interesting stage at the moment, because having exited the business three years ago, I have the luxury of time. And I'm thinking deeply about, well, what am I going to do for my sort of second career, if that makes sense? What's my overall purpose in life? And how can I make sure that I align this phase of work and my next business with that purpose? And because of that, I'm kind of absorbing advice from, you know, loads of different sources. I do a lot of mentoring, actually, and a bit of angel investing. So I'm really surrounded by a lot of people who are sort of on that journey at the moment. And so I'm always learning from them. Mm. I talk to the people that I think I want to represent. So I'm very interested in supporting women in business and helping them achieve what they are capable of. So I learn from a lot of women. And I actually really love a good, wise owl. So people who've been there and done it always have a brilliant perspective on these things because you can have what you think is an amazing idea and, and they can just say, don't do that. I love the expression I discovered once on the back of a hostel door in New Zealand I think it was saying experience is what you get after you've needed it (laughs) so if there's other people that have already got it you can tap into them exactly (laughs) and what was the most surprising thing that you'd learned about yourself when you became your own boss just how unbelievably motivated and proud I was of our little tribe So all the people who came to work at our company were as passionate as we were about charities and not-for-profit organisations and just trying to make a difference and work with other people like us who were also trying to make a difference inside those organisations. And it really took me aback just how motivating that was to me. And in many respects, I look back at those early years of being just the highlight of my entire career because it was just such a brilliant vibe in the business. Yeah. Everybody was just on a mission. So I really, really enjoyed that. So one of the things that took me by surprise was my loss of confidence as our business became more successful, which 
seems counterintuitive, I know. So in my early career, when I was an employee, I spent a decade working in PR agencies in London, and I always felt confident. I never worried about trying to be something I wasn't. Um, I enjoyed learning from people who were more experienced than me, and I just accepted that I didn't have to know everything. And then I went into business. And again, I really didn't know what I was doing, but we were small, we were learning, we were hungry, and I just loved the ride. And then when we started to get bigger and more grown up, the stakes got higher and my confidence took a nosedive. So I compared myself to my business partners who are highly entrepreneurial, more kind of classically entrepreneurial. And I just wasn't like them. There's definitely an entrepreneurial stereotype. And on reflection, I realized that deep down, because I felt different to that stereotype, I didn't feel like I belonged in entrepreneurship. And the more successful we became, the more pressure I felt to behave in a way that just wasn't authentic for me. Now, one of the really disturbing things about feeling like you don't belong is that it makes you feel threatened. And when you're scanning for threats the whole time, it impairs your ability to think and to judge and to solve problems. So you make mistakes. I made mistakes, which kind of further dented my confidence. It's a horrible, vicious cycle. And it left me feeling really frustrated that even after achieving so much success, I felt like I hadn't reached my full potential. So it had such a profound impact on me that I ended up doing a TED Talk about the importance of belonging in entrepreneurship in October last year to highlight the problem and how to deal with it. How did you manage it? So there's one thing I did instinctively, which really helped. I sought belonging elsewhere. I founded a women's network gathering around me a group of like-minded women whom I could be myself with, women who ultimately became my allies. And this made a massive difference to my resilience, my sense of identity, ultimately my confidence in in who I am. Is there any advice that you give anyone coming into self-employment to be wary of? I advise people to prioritise networking, but to think about it in terms of establishing meaningful supportive, reciprocal relationships with people who can help mm-hmm. you be your best. I really sympathize with people who are put off at the idea of walking into a room full of strangers and reciting their elevator pitch to visibly bored people looking over your shoulder. But it honestly doesn't have to be this way. Just find like-minded people. And if you haven't got access to a network, then build your own. Just start with one person and grow it from there. And I would also advise you to get a coach. So self-care is really important. And I think it's the last thing on entrepreneurs' minds. So when you start a business, you're so focused on just surviving every day. You need to have a plan for yourself and for your self-care that sits alongside your business plan. Ah, that's a really good idea. And so for me, I should have got a coach. So I'm doing um, quite a lot of work at the moment, as I say, on my own purpose. And what I'm learning is that it's something that loads of entrepreneurs don't think about. So they might say, oh, I really dreamed of having my own business one day. So they start to grow a business and they become completely obsessed with growing their business and all of their energy goes into that. So I know a founder who is going through this at the moment Um, who has to make a decision quite imminently about whether she wants to initiate a VC Series A fundraise. 
she knows that as soon as she hits go on that and gets a serious investor involved, it's kind of exponential growth or die. And she's having a real wobble about it. Does she actually want that for herself? Mm -hmm. I mean, all this time, she's been head down building towards this point. And now she's not sure she really wants it. And that's because she's never sat down at the beginning and said, what do I actually want to achieve for myself? Yeah. What do I want in my life? What does success actually look like for me? So it's almost planning for success, not only just for your business, but for your personal future as well, because your business is so part yeah. of your everyday. Best case scenario, the business works, your company works, but what, what's in it for you personally? And I think then as part of that, the self-care yeah. aspect of it's really important. So someone said to me ages ago, chopping trees with a blunt axe is a waste of energy. It's really, really important that you factor in sharpening your axe. In my case, I was sort of in a bit of a crisis and I should have just got a coach. And I didn't get that because I was just in a state of trying to keep my head above water. I never really had a plan for myself and I never had a plan for self-care. So from a mental health perspective, actually, it's such a roller coaster. Mm. I mean, I've learned to be resilient, but I look back and I think, oh, there was a lot of suffering along the journey that I didn't need to have. The hard way and it doesn't necessarily need to be that. So I know for my next business, it will be a completely different journey because I'm approaching it from a completely different perspective. And I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Avoid the battle scars. (laughs) I was going to ask, how do you stay inspired, especially during pandemic? For me at the moment, it's definitely focusing on this bigger picture. So for me, the idea of you having a kind of higher purpose, it kind of means possibility. And it does give me a feeling of hope and excitement about the future, even as I'm sort of stuck mired in this sort of terrible groundhog day. (laughs) So it's focusing on the big picture. It's continuing to talk to people actually taking time to sit and have a chat with someone for half an hour over a cup of tea for me personally it sort of lifts me out of this kind of day-to-day drudgery and I'm very excited about this prospect of you know new roaring 20s I'm like bring it on (laughs) good point what is it that you enjoy the most about being self-employed I think it's just an amazing thing to grow something so that moment when the business starts to run itself for us it was about three years in It's just such an incredible feeling. You know, I'm smiling just thinking about it. It's such a great feeling when that happens. And I I think for a lot of people listening to your podcast, they're probably very early stage and they probably can't even imagine getting to that point. But it will come and it's amazing when it does. And of course, what is it you enjoy the least? I remember once we had a client and they were such a precious client to us in terms of the hopes we pinned on them were huge. They were an amazing organization. And we just had a project with them that went wrong. And no matter how much we tried to put it right, it just carried on getting worse and worse. And as a senior person in the business, there's no one else to turn to. You have to try and sort it out yourself. And I found that that incredibly painful. And what did you learn about working with other people whilst you're running the business? Well, I learned that if you have a shared purpose as a business, it can carry you and your team through anything. So if people believe in what you're all trying to do and your shared mission, then they will put up with the highs and lows. And it's clear, it's communicated, it's agreed. Yeah. Like I say, with our business where everybody was very excited about working with charities and not-for-profit organisations. So when we were really overloading people with work because we had a crunch on something and a squeeze, people would stay and work in our office with us 
till midnight. They do it because they cared about the client and cared about what that client was trying to do. So I, I do think it's really important that you make sure you bring people on board who believe in what you're trying to do collectively, because it, it can really make a massive difference to the sort of energy and motivation of a team. And the other thing I learned was to let people be good at what they do, to not try to control everything. And that's actually really difficult for most founders because most founders, in my experience, have a tendency to want to control things. And there's that awful sort of thing where you think, oh, I'll just do it myself. And actually not giving people the space to step up means they never will. (laughs) And actually, as you scale, you really have to because you'll burn yourself out. Well, there's only so many hours a day. And I've definitely worked out, I do definitely need a good night's sleep to function. Yeah. With your experience, is there anything that you would champion change on? One thing that I'm very passionate about is people like me, actually, who felt that they weren't a born entrepreneur. I want those people to think again and to understand that entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes and that a lot of the role models that we see today tend to sort of emulate from Silicon Valley and that those people actually represent such a tiny proportion of the entrepreneurial community. So I'm very passionate about people from underrepresented groups seizing the opportunity and particularly women. Certainly fewer women have confidence to start businesses than men. And it's actually a perceived lack of ability rather than an actual gap in skill set. I'm very passionate that we try to encourage greater diversity, actually, and that more women take the plunge and take that first step. Because I'm a big believer that the more diverse the kind of business community, the better businesses that we will have all round. And I think we're all guilty of seeing the end success stories of Mark Zuckerberg, but he started somewhere. It's just that first leap of faith. Lots of people said to me, wow, you're very brave talking about all of this stuff. And it's very personal. But actually, I just think there needs to be other role models out there. And and actually, people need to be really honest about their experiences. And, you know, we're all human and we all bleed. And actually, if you have real people talking about their insecurities and their doubts, it makes it feel more relatable and more achievable and possible for other people. Thank you, Amanda, so much. I've really enjoyed chatting to you about all of this. It's been brilliant. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. I'd like to thank Amanda for being so candid about the struggles that she'd endured during her own startup. And I'm encouraged that if I take the time now to plan for my personal self, as well as my professional self, I'll be in a much stronger position in the long run. If you'd like to contact Amanda, you'll find all of her information in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice she has shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.